The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I'd like to talk to you about the quantedge.com. Great daily fantasy sports website that kicked it off with football this year. Crushing it with NBA. They got the playoffs blowing and going still. And the MLB package is churning out green screen after green screen. I have the pleasure of writing part of the batter breakdown five to seven times a week over there. Tons of great articles, great member Discord chat, and awesome, awesome tools. More and more coming down the pipeline. The advanced stat tool is going to be expanded soon. Currently is free for everyone that wants to go check it out. So go get that. But they have the, the lineup optimizer, weather, umpire, injury, so many other things to go check out at thequantedge.com. So I highly recommend it. And if you want to get the rest of the MLB season package, you can do that for $124.99. If you like to just try all sports for the first month, go get it at $19.99. You can also get a five-day trial for $5.99. So go to thequantedge.com, promo code Bubba for all those good, good things. Also, if you give a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. It would help. More and more people get to find and listen to Bench with Bubba as the more ratings and review they have, the higher up the, the rankings of the podcast world you can go. With all that being said, welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 166, with our good buddy Sammy Reed, talking fantasy baseball week five, Fab, and Game of Thrones, episode three of season eight. everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 166 have a, a re- reoccurring guest a friend of the podcast a member of the barks league he does podcasting at the moment for uh, roto grinders and does a lot of the great you know winning award type writing for football for roto grinders you can find him on twitter at sammy reed fi my friend sammy how you doing man i'm doing great and and if this is episode 166 and i think this is my second time that means yep. I've been on like 1.2% of all Bench with Bubba episodes, and that's and that's really a, an honor and a privilege. 
There you go. And it is an honor and a privilege to have you for 1.2% of them. Um, it, it's awesome. I've gotten to know Sammy through Bar Fleet and other deals. One of the really, really good, genuine dudes out there. So uh, I always like chatting it up with, with Sammy. If we can push record once in a while, it's fun because, you know, when he can do math that quickly, you know, he's super knowledgeable when it comes to everything else. So uh, before that, we get that's started. Right. I may or may not have just used the uh, the calculator app on my phone. I'm going to just go ahead and say I did it in my head. Just to impress everybody. Yes, yeah, there's, there's no need to give away the secret. A good magician <laughs> never tells, like ever. Secret sauce. Yeah, secret sauce. Uh, before we get rocking and rolling on this week's uh, fantasy baseball action, why don't you let everybody know what you got going on or what you got cooking in the pipeline? Yeah, I mean, mostly a bunch of uh, a bunch of podcasting for Roto Grinders uh, on the on the on deck daily podcast for them, and we just do DFS there. Uh, you know, Doug Thorburn, another honorary guest uh, member mm-hmm. of the Barkley. Him and I do a podcast called Baseball Holics Anonymous, and we haven't done one in a while because uh, just life stuff, and so we're actually like revamping the kind of the structure of the pod to make it viable. So that should be starting up again soon. I'm pretty excited to do that. Yeah, we're all pumped for that. That's a one of the better ones out there. And yes, life gets in the way. We know Doug's been, you know, starting businesses and doing all kinds of stuff. So yep. he's busy, you're busy. I, I totally get it. Life happens and it gets pretty crazy. Uh, we can't all be Justin Mason and uh, do this 24-27-7. But yeah, we're looking, we'll look forward to that. Can't wait to see what the new format is and, you know, you got, you got your super fan, Yancey, you middle hop on at any time. So you're, you're good there. Yeah, um, for sure. And we'll make Yancey happy because we'll start right out the gate. Nate Lowe, he gets the call to the Tampa Bay Rays today. Like, it was, you kind of knew it was coming, but I didn't think it was actually going to happen today because I'm really mad at myself. Literally, I stared at him in TGFBI yesterday. I was like, I should put a cheap bid on him, but I really need physical players, like, put on my roster right now. And I couldn't do it. And then he gets called up, like, 12 hours after Fab closes. So that was outstanding. Um, what's your take on and, uh, Nate Lowe? Because he was crushing in the minors, crushed it last year. He picked up a double today and scored a run. Uh, looks like they're going to play him every day. So what's your take on Nate Lowe? Uh, my take is that I think it would have been way smarter to get him for a buck this week than it will be yes. for like 150 bucks this coming week. Um, but I wasn't smart enough to do that. So here we are, Bubba. You and me. Yes. <laughs> going to pay yes. out the wazoo for this kid. And frankly, I I think he'll be worth it. I mean, I I love the profile of Lowe. He's one of those guys that just has a lot of power and a lot of patience, right? Like, he had a 12.8% walk rate last year. You you mentioned the big year he had the minors over three levels. 330 average, 416 on base, 568 triple slash uh, for the slugging. I mean, that's that's monstrous. And if he's going to play every day, I mean, that lineup in Tampa is really, really good. Like. I think this guy could be one of the best pickups of the year. And I think people who paid out for players this week will probably be pretty bummed that they didn't save some cash for low this, this coming week here. Yeah. That's kind of my saving grace is I haven't gotten the Chavises, the key booms, the Tuckers, any of these young kids that have been coming up and everyone's kind of yeah. blowing their wad on them. I I've been trying to be smart yet, put a, keep them honest bit. And yeah, it hasn't come close. So, um, and when we talk about fab, like we do every Monday, it is always fun to kind of see the different ranges and prices for some of these guys. It's it's crazy from league to league. But you mentioned uh, you mentioned how low you're thinking, like 125, 130. I know you're just kind of joking around there because it could be totally different come Sunday. It feels it's like three jacks this week or something. But oh yeah, I mean it, it, he could easily go for 250 in leagues. I mean it's yeah. gonna 
it's crazy how different bidding is uh, in different leagues, depending on setups and just the personalities that are in there. But I think Lowe will go for a lot of money, and I think he should. Like, you you just mentioned some of the guys that went this last week, Tucker, Chavis, um, Keyboom. I, I think Lowe, if I were going to rank them, I think I probably like Lowe better than all of them. Yeah, okay, that's where I was going to go with that is with all the ones that have been coming up, it's like every week it's, okay, Tucker's cool, big prospect, not super excited, but people were excited for certain reasons. Then Chavis comes up, and Keyboom came. I was like, okay, this is the guy, but – you know, you never really know if these guys are going to stick. You said it when you when you talking about low. This guy should stick unless for some reason the hit tool does not work. This guy should be up there every day. And I'm with you. This guy literally from, from this point on, twenty homers isn't out of the realm. Like that's a legit possibility with him. And uh, you know, if he gets two eighty, even it, it would be great. But he he showed three hundred plus ability in the minors, so it'll be yeah. really interesting to see where it goes. I know I'll be bidding on him. Um, which league are you in again? Um, so we are together in BARF. I'm in the NFBC main event and then obviously TGFBI. So those are going to be my, my big fab leagues. Yeah. And TGFBI, I'm so like to be eight, I think. League eight. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think you're with, uh, yeah. I, are you, no, that's a different league. But yeah. Okay. But uh, they'll be interesting to see how it goes. We don't have to remember. But, um, yeah. Nate Lowe, he is up. It is happening and I'm kicking myself. So we'll see how that changes on Sunday. Um, somebody that should have kicked himself instead of hit a door would be Alex Reyes. Um, at least he was smart to use his left hand, not his right hand. He's going to be out for a little while. And, you know, I, I have experienced it with Hunter Strickland. Now we have Drew Pomeranz on the Giants. Maybe it's just a thing we do. Bring Alex Reyes over. I'll, I'll take the gamble. Um, any, any concerns or thoughts on Alex Reyes with this whole deal? Yeah, I have a lot of concerns about Reyes. Uh, number one, that he's an idiot. And number two, that there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. And, yes. I mean, Reyes was as good of a pitching prospect as we've seen in a couple of years, and he's thrown, like, 40 professional innings since 2017. You know? it's it, And now he's, you know, without a role. He's with a broken hand. I mean, obviously in Dynasty Leagues, you're hanging on to him and keepers and stuff like that. But, like, in redraft leagues, even a 15-teamer, I don't know if, you should have room for this guy in your roster. It's just innings, and he's not doing that. Yeah, and that's my biggest concern. I just don't think he's worth it anymore. It's like, would you rather, like, I guess I already know the answer, but would you rather roll the dice on a Carlos Martinez out of the bullpen instead of Alex Reyes? Oh, well, yeah, because <laughs> Carlos Martinez out of the bullpen is major league innings. I mean, that's that's just the reality. Like, at some point, we're, we're a month into the season now, and at some point, in the preseason, you're drafting guys based on, okay, I think this guy can contribute at some point in this and that. But then reality hits and your guys start getting hurt and your closers start losing jobs. And it's like, shit, dude, like I got to do something with my roster. I need guys who are going to produce. And Reyes is just not that guy right now. And he won't be in the near future, it looks like. So adios, amigo. Yeah, pretty crazy that the everyone's pumped on him coming into the season and it just went away so, so fast. Uh, another guy we were all pumped on, Eloy Jimenez. This one sucks. Trying to rob a home run, hurts his ankle. It sounds pretty bad because they're not going to let him really do anything for like two weeks. Then they're going to reevaluate yeah. things. This could be like a four to six week deal because you don't want to rush this back by any means. He kind of got off to a slow start this year. How are you kind of? Uh, you're not going to. I don't. They're not dropping Eloy Jimenez. But what are you kind of? What's your thoughts on him right now with this whole ankle deal? So my thoughts are, you remember last year when Acuna came up and he did, you know, okay, pretty good. 
And then he had that Bryce Harper injury over at first where he like tripped on the base and hyperextended his knee. Mm-hmm. And he was out for a while. And it's just like, oh, this guy we were so excited about, like, wasn't that great. And then he got hurt. Like, is this guy going to be anybody? And then Acuna came back and just absolutely mauled the second half of the season. I can see that for Eloy Jimenez. And it sucks that he's going to be out a couple of weeks. Absolutely. If you have him on your team, that sucks. NFBC leagues, you have to just kick it on your bench and a lot of other leagues. You have a DL spot you can use, I'm sure. But if I'm in a league that has DL spots and stuff like that, I might make an offer for Eloy and try to buy low. I, I just think that that Acuna-esque potential is there with him. And, you know, he's had, I don't know how many at-bats. I don't have it in front of me, but like 50 at-bats, 60 at-bats. Like, I mean, we have no idea what this kid is capable of. And and it's probably big things. So if their owner is uh, is is bummed and, it's really tough to buy low in a lot of cases, but when a guy gets hurt and he's going to be out for multiple weeks, that's a situation where you actually can buy low. So I would look into that in, in the leagues you don't own him. I think that's a great take. This guy's a pure new, you know, growing pains, you could say, was kind of the slow start. Still hit 240 with three homers and peripheral stats showed some plus signs there. Um, he's going to figure it out. Like you said with Acuna, he got hurt and he came back and started crushing again. I still think Eloy could do a, a ton of damage this year. So I think that's a really, really interesting take there about trying to go acquire him because everyone's, you know, injuries are affecting everybody. So maybe this person doesn't have the room to to stash him or is frustrated and needs some help. So you could definitely, you know, sweeten the deal for him and, and stash him away if you can afford it. So I like that quite a bit. Um, let's go to your San Diego Padres real quick. Don't read the outline because I can't type properly. Dude, hey, let's, let's go to the Padres. I'll talk Padres the rest of the pod if you yeah. want to. Well, I actually have a couple questions on them, so we're going to have some fun with this in a minute. But um, first off, Luis Urias. Like, everyone thought that Tatis wasn't going to join the club this year because Urias is going to play short, yada, yada, yada. We saw how well that worked out. But now Urias is down in, in AAA smoking hot. Seven dongs, hitting 391. He's doing everything you can think of that to get back in the bigs. What are we thinking here? Like, Ian Kinsler's got to go right. Like, when do we think we see Urias up here? Like, when can we put the, the th- like $5 bid in and not get screwed like Nate Lowe? You know, I think it really depends on the health of uh, of Tatis Jr. You know, he got hurt the other day, and I don't think they're quite sure how bad it is. Um, but I think that if he ends up going on the IL, Arias would be a natural fit to come up because that's what was supposed to happen at the beginning of the season is he was going to play shortstop until Tatis Jr. was ready. And then they ended up flipping that. But I think that he can play shortstop in a pinch. And, uh, I mean, frankly, I think he's worth a small bid if we do not uh, get news on that by next weekend, which we probably will. But if Tatis is okay, I mean, I, we've been aggressive. I, I would say within a couple of weeks if he keeps this up. So I, I think he's knocking on the door. But I think it's reasonable to keep, like, your expectations in check for him. You know, I don't think he's a guy that profiles with a ton of power or a ton of speed, maybe a low double digit of each guy. and. Obviously, he's smoking hot in the minors, but just just like guys in the majors, we don't want to like overrate that and think, okay, this is a fantasy superstar. I don't think that's particularly his profile. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think he'll be a popular name here soon, so we'll be interested to see how that one pans out. A, a, a popular name that I can never pronounce correctly, and I want to get the Padres' take on it. How do I say Nick Margivigas? Um, Marjavicious. 
Mar- oh, I've, I've said that one before. I said it about 25 different ways now. So, Mar- Marcus, Marcus. <laughs> you just keep going, you'll get one right. I mean, honestly, that's the way I say it. I've heard it a couple times, but I, there's a non zero chance that in a couple of weeks he says that's not how it's pronounced at all. Um, and he, he had a decent start uh, today in Atlanta. You know, they lost three to one, but he really pitched pretty well against a pretty powerful offense there. Um, what's kind of your guys' thoughts on how he's been this year? Because he kind of came out of nowhere to non-Padre fans, and he's sticking in the rotation. He's putting quality starts out there. Like, what's his fantasy viability to you guys? You know, I think he's kind of just a a solid mid-level guy. I think he's – people really like Joey Lucchese, and I think Lucchese had um, quite a bit of uh, strikeout upside, and he still does. Marja Vicious is not a guy who – you you look at and think he's a big strikeout guy, but if you look at what he did in the minor leagues last year, I'm always impressed by guys that control the strike zone. And Marchavicious last year had an 8.6 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. That's really impressive. And obviously, like some of his other numbers, his ERA and his whip didn't like totally stand out, but they were solid. But somebody who controls the strike zone like that, I think always has a lot of viability when they get to the majors and particularly when they pitch in a park like Petco, which he's just really good at neutralizing lefties because he is a lefty and he plays in a lefty neutralizing park. And so I think he gets a lot of extra equity from there. And I think he's going to be fantasy viable the rest of the way. I think he's a really solid pitcher. I like it. Uh, We know Chris Paddock is an electric factory. Um, I haven't seen anything officially to imagine they're going to monitor things. Have you heard anything on, potentially how many innings he's looking at this year? Uh, Marjavicious or Paddock? Paddock. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't really heard their number, but the thing that I do like is the Padres are generally aggressive. And if we are, I say we because, you know, I'm a Padres fan. If we're in the hunt, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like stupid, but I can't help but do it. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like they will try to keep his innings you know, 150 ish. But the reality is, dude, you got a Leroy Jenkins if you're in the if you're in the hunt late in the season, and I hope they do. Uh, I'm still like tilted that the Nationals shut down Strasburg all those years ago in the playoffs, and still haven't won a championship since those windows. I'm not saying the Padres will have one this year. I don't know if we're quite that good, but if we do, I, I hope that they just let Paddock go, man. Like that's why you play the game. Yeah, you don't you don't have the chance to win three in five years very often, so you should probably go for it while you can. Um, yeah. The uh, Manny Machado, this I'm not concerned because it's Manny Machado, but you know some people did say when he's a free agent that his his home road splits were you know they stood out, but I still th- said he's a, a great pure hitter and I wasn't overly concerned with it. Are you guys are you seeing anything that you know keeps the optimism with Machado, or is there? Maybe something that, you know, as a guy that, like you that kind of watches him more often that you're seeing that maybe there is an issue in the swing or in his approach at the plate right now. No, nah, nothing really that I'm that I'm seeing that stands out. I think he's just kind of going through a cold stretch and I'm kind of with you that Machado is going to be fine. You know, it's it's been talked about a lot that Petco for right-handed hitters plays pretty neutral, so it shouldn't be a ballpark issue. And Machado's a, a young stud. He's, you know, what, 26 years old? Like, I think he's totally fine. Players will have ups and downs throughout the season. I just think he's kind of starting out with a down. And like as a baseball fan, it's tilting because it's like, oh, Machado's up. Why does he keep screwing up? Like just win some games for us. 
but the reality is, is that it's a long season and uh, Machado is going to be fine. So, yeah. um, I, I, in fantasy wise, like I would say buy low, but I doubt anybody who drafted him in the second round is like, oh yeah, let me give you a deal on Machado. Like, probably not going to happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. They'd be pretty surprising if they did. Uh, last Padres question I have for you for now, at least. And now I'm not going to ask for an Aaron Cosmo question because I like you. Um, <laughs> Hunter Renfro and Franmil Reyes were two guys I was really pumped on coming to the season. Franmil starting to pick it up. His X stats are just – they're showing a potential boom coming here sooner than later. And Renfro's been pretty good. Um, are those – do you think those guys, their, their playing time's pretty secure the rest of the way? Because there is quite a bit of activity in that outfield. Yeah, I think Fran Mills is the most assured out of the two of them. And I think just because they started him off as the starter and he's kind of been there all season, Renfro's been a little in and out as his production has gone up and down. But, I mean, Fran Mill is also a guy like, I just really believe in his power. You know, like, you look at what he did in the minors, you talked about his X stats this year. I mean, the guy just has monstrous, monstrous pop. People have been a little slow to come around just because he wasn't a supreme prospect, but the guy has legit power. And I mean, I would not be surprised to see him have like a Chris Davis with a K type career um, at the high end. So I think he's got that kind of upside. That'd be pretty solid. Okay. Non-fantasy question. What year or how soon do we see Tampa Bay versus San Diego in the World Series? Because I think it's a legit possibility. I'm not even just placating two of my buddies here. I like both these teams. I think there's a chance the way your teams are built that it could happen sooner than later. Yeah. I mean, I legit think that, I mean, honestly, the Rays could make a run at that this year. That's a good team. I don't think really good team. So good, bro. So, I mean, it's like crazy. It's just like everything they touch turns to gold. They have the, uh, the, the 2019 Cy Young award winner, uh, Blake Snell, um, or the 18 winner Blake Snow and they're a 19 winner Tyler Glass now on their yep. team. Like that's that's fantastic. Um, I think that the Padres are probably still a year away. I think we'll be really good next year. This year is a little more of a stepping stone, but I think I think 2020 is a legit possibility. And if if everything goes well, you know, keeping keeping yeah. the fingers crossed. But as a San Diego fan, I mean we've never won squat in any sport ever. So just to have hope and optimism. I mean, is is something really new and really fun. And, and first time in, you know, whatever, 20 years, it's been fun to be a Padres fan. No, I love it. I'm truly pulling for like I, I've pulled for the Rays the last few years because they're just fun and good team to watch. And I'll pull for the Padres because any chance to keep the Dodgers out of it, I am a fan of. So you have. Yeah, and, and, and the truth is we haven't been good enough for like anyone in, in the division to hate us. You know, it's like you haven't developed yeah, exactly. that hatred for the Padres. Exactly. The Rockies annoy me, but uh, I can like the Padres. <laughs> but, uh, all right, let's go back to some other action. I, I, the Padres, they fascinate me. They really, truly do. So I could talk about them for a while. But let's go Chris Archer. P- Pittsburgh Pirates goes on the 10-day IL with a right thumb inflammation. They're not thinking it's too severe, but, you know, he, he still isn't Chris Archer of his heyday. Um, what's your just thoughts on Chris Archer in general? Because I assume he'll come back and he'll be okay, but were, were you a Chris Archer buyer coming into the year or would you try to be picking him up on the low now? What, what do you think about Chris Archer? You know, I was a Chris Archer buyer coming into the year and not like a buyer, like I have him on every team, but more a buyer in the sense that Chris Archer is who he always has been. Like 
he's disappointing in the sense that he's a guy who struck out 230 guys for like three straight years. And you're like, dude, if he just develops a third pitch or like nails down his control a little better, like this guy's a, a Cy Young candidate. And he never took that step. He never developed a good third pitch. It never, he never got any better, but he didn't really get worse. Like his ERA fluctuated, but the reality is Archer is Archer. And he's a guy, if he pitches the whole season, he's going to strike out 200 guys. And moving from the AL East to Pittsburgh in the in the National League in a park that's really good for pitching, um, not that not that Tropicana isn't, but I just thought with the park shift, like there was value in where he was going. Nothing's changed with Archer so much as just his draft cost changed, and so that made me a little bit of a buyer. I have a couple shares, but you know, at the end, I think he's just the guy he's always been. And if you like a four ERA and two hundred strikeouts, Archer's your dude. Yep, that sums it up beautifully. Uh, a guy that I can relate to is Williams Ostadio. Big Brothers Unite. <laughs> but um, he hit the IL. This guy is a freak at the plate. For a guy his size, to not strike out and just do what he does is damn right impressive. But uh, he hits the DL with a left hamstring tightness. I didn't think he could feel his muscles personally. But um, he's going to be out there for Dio, or are you thinking, you know, the, the other shoe is going to drop sooner than later on this guy? He's 27 years old, finally getting it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an Astadio fan. I think that he's just so uncommon, right? He, he's the type of dude who, who just like, he's this like fat dude who rolls into the bar and schools everybody at shuffleboard and then schools everybody at darts and then schools everybody at pool. Like, he is a savant and he doesn't look like a savant, but he is. And it sucks that he got hurt because the Twins were really making a lot of playing time for him. He's played six different positions this year. He played in 16 of the Twins' last 23 games, hitting 327. Like, there's a strong case that he was a top-five catcher rest of the season. So I think he has that sort of talent. I think that he is so good with the bat that he will force himself into that lineup. And hopefully he gets back soon. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I hope the, the injury is not too bad. Yeah, I love Williams Ostadio. It's, it's it's Bartolo Colon Jr. It's big. I call him Little Sexy. Um, there, there's, there's, a, <laughs> there, there, there's a lot to like there with Ostadio, so I hope he comes back sooner than later. Um, another guy coming back from the IL, IL here shortly is Matt Olson, who suffered that handmade injury in the Japanese series. Um, starting rehab tomorrow, I believe. He'll rehab for about a week or so with Vegas, and then he should be back with the Oakland A's. Now, we know that the Hammond injury can, you know, like, take away some power for a while. What are you kind of – what are your expectations for Matt Olson when he comes back with the A's? Yeah, so I, I've always been a fan of Olson because he's, like, that cheap power. He's kind of like a Joey Gallo light type of player um, where he's got a bad average. But I had him projected for, like, 32, 33 homers before this season, and that'll play. Um, I do have concerns about the Hammett injury. You know, we've, we've seen guys in the past come back and their power's not the same or it takes a while to get back into that. So if you take away the supreme power from Olsen and just make it good power and he still has a bad average, that's like not that great. That's like a, a souped up Kendris Morales, which makes nobody excited. So hopefully that's not the case, but I do have concerns about him. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm worried about. I held on to him. I was, I was shocked when people dropped him earlier this year. That didn't make any sense to me at all. But uh, here we are, and I'll be I'll be putting him back in because injuries suck. But um, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim 
promoted one of their pitching prospects, Griffin Canning. Um, people are really, really pumped on him. I know Matt Medica, who knows pitching quite well, very excited about him. He's been good in his last couple seasons in the minors. I honestly didn't know a ton about him until I started researching him earlier today. Do you have any hot takes on Griffin Canning and his viability as a fantasy player? You know, I don't because, like you, I didn't know who Griffin Canning was 10 days ago. Um, I have have no problem admitting that. Um, I like to say I know prospects a little bit too, but I had no idea who this guy was. Yeah, but but like you said, you look back at his minor league record and – you know, really, it's just 2018 and then and then this past year. But his 2018, it was really good. You know, he struck out 9.9 guys per nine innings, um, had a nice uh, walk-to-strikeout ratio of almost three. And then I just rely on the quote-unquote scouts to tell me that the guy, you know, sits in the, in the low to mid-90s and can touch 95, 96. And, you know, just based on those reports and the, and the uh, minor league statistical profile, he looks pretty good, and I'm more than willing to take a chance on him. So I, I've picked him up in a couple of leagues where I could get him cheaply, and uh, I'm hoping for good things. But I also thought uh, Eric Swanson would be good, and uh, yes. he, he has not been. So you never quite know with these guys, but I am cautiously optimistic on Canning. Yep, so all you can do is just roll the dice these days because it is a minefield out there in the pitching landscape. So uh, a healthy yeah, just line don't, just don't get good. blown up. Like that's it, If you much. just don't get blown up, I'm pumped. Like a low four ZRA might finish mid of the pack for you in, in Roto, and that might be just enough. <laughs> it's that crazy right now. Yeah. But uh, one last thing here, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim also have put closer Cody Allen, or former closer Cody Allen, on the 10-day IL um, with a lumbar spine strain. That doesn't sound good. But the more important question I have for you, because he was kind of getting pushed out anyways, who are you looking at in the back end there? Is it Ty Buttry? Is it Hansel Robles? What are you doing here? Because it's been a little bit all over the board off and on. Yeah, if I were going to make a bet on which one of those dudes has more saves, it would be Hansel. And I think we saw it a little bit this weekend. I think it was either yesterday or Saturday that they had a lead going into the eighth. And they brought in Buttry in the eighth. And then Buttry gave up a run, and then they scored a couple. So it was a non-safe situation. But then they had Robles come in for the ninth. And I have no doubt that they think that Buttry is a better pitcher, and he is. But I think they're using him more as the fireman. You know, the the day after Allen got hurt, Buttry pitched, like, two-plus innings in relief um, because he was, like, putting out fires. And I think they're going to use him as the fireman, and Robles is the finisher. So... I think the people that fabbed Robles this last week uh, got a pretty good deal on him, and I think he ends up with more saves. Awesome, awesome. Uh, last thoughts here on the news section. This doesn't have to be analysis or whatever. It could be a fan analysis. I don't care. But I know how much we love the youngsters, and, and Vladito made his uh, debut last Friday, and so did Carter Keyboom. Just any takeaways from the early week, and it's you know, three games in, but any thoughts on these two guys is obviously – we're pumped to see him, but what's your thoughts? So my thought, uh, I'll start out with uh, Keyboom. Obviously, I think he's hit two home runs since he came up, and that's uh, a pretty good thing for him because I think he's one of those guys that could go either way. He's a really good prospect. Um, I personally didn't bid a ton of money on him because his rest of season playing time really isn't assured, uh, nor is a premium lineup spot, right? But I think if he mashes – 
he can get those things. I think he can move into a better lineup spot. I think he can move into full-time PT even when Trey Turner comes back, but he has to produce in the time between now and when Trey comes back. And if he doesn't, he'll go back down. They have plenty of infielders. But if he does, I think they'll just say, wow, this guy's good. We're going to keep him rest of the season. So I think he's a really high-variance player, and uh, I think he's a good prospect, so he has that ability. And the two home runs, like I said, really good start for him. And then Vladito, I mean, dude, I'm just I'm just so happy. I'm just so happy mm-hmm. he's here. As a baseball fan, it's amazing. Like, we have been waiting for this kid. He's He's basically as exciting as Acuna was last year. And we haven't seen prospects like this. Um, we say that all the time, but I really believe that he's a generational type of prospect. I mean, last year, you don't need the stats to say, to tell me, to tell you that he's good. But like since last year, 61 extra base hits and 48 strikeouts. That is out of this world. Like this guy is just, he makes my heart flutter when I think about him. And I've been going out of my way to watch every one of his at-bats. I'll, you know, DVR the games and then just watch his at-bats when I get home. I just want as much Vlad as I can get in my life. And he's here and we've had to wait too long, but finally he's here. And I have like zero doubts that he'll just crush the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm with you. He's he's what is fun about baseball. We talk about how we like ask the deal. He's fun about baseball. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is pure fun on the base pass. It's just yes. yeah, on the field and the wherever. It's just amazing. And that's what's great about it. Now, you're talking about how he makes your heart flutter. Does Juan Soto know about this? Um, I mean, Juan knows he's my main man. Like, I will never stray okay. from Juan Soto. Um, <laughs> part, of, part of the brand. Um, I, I love Soto. I think that Soto is, like, just long-term. It, you know, he's like a – he can be Bobby Abreu, who, if you don't remember, Bobby Abreu was a fantastic player for a long time. And, and I don't know if Derby champion. That. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen uh, the the Zips projection for um, for Soto in like 2021, but it's like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Um, I, will, I, I will try to retweet it on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I, I just know every projection I've ever seen with Soto is ridiculous because he's that damn good. But um, yeah, and, he, and to me, he's still kind of not gotten on a fast start yet. So I'm scared. When he gets on a heater, it's going to get like nuclear out there. It's going to be really oh, yeah. good. Yeah, he's got the, so. he's got the quietest like two seventy five on base percentage mm-hmm. and six homers and three steals that you have seen uh, this entire year. Nobody's talking about Soto, um, and he's just kind of chugging along. Like the the kid's just going to be an all time great. I have no doubt. Yep, he's an absolute beast. Uh, let's go to the Fab Market TGFBI Week Five Fab Report, courtesy of Smata. Thanks again to Smata. Uh, lots of great stuff here, as usual. We'll kind of go over some players that were added by a lot of people or just to make fun of people. We'll see how it goes. But um, we'll start off with Brian Goodwin because he's a name that keeps popping up in conversation as he's not flashy by any means, but um, continually getting the job done on a mediocre at best Anaheim team. He was only owned in like 7% of Yahoo and ESPN leagues at the moment, but he went from anywhere from 10 to $51 uh, in 15-team leagues, he is viable, in my opinion. What's your thoughts on Goodwin right now? Because he, he's getting the job done and playing every day. Yeah, I, I would like to make fun of people, uh, but I won't be able to do it for Goodwin. I think he's a pretty good player. I mean, if you look at his career, not a long career, right? I think he's like four or five seasons in. He has 593 career major league plate appearances. And in those plate appearances, basically a full season's worth, 261 average, 22 homers, 10 steals. 
And now he's kind of hitting in the heart of the Angels order. I think he hit third today. I think he was sixth yesterday. But he's been in the heart of that order. I think that's a pretty good buy. Most of the people that, that fabbed him in TGFBI got him under 30 bucks. You need an outfielder five or a DH? Dude, that's pretty solid. I, I think that was a good buy. Yep, I was happy with my twenty-four dollar win on that one. That was oh, uh, oh you're made, in on that action. Good for you. Buddy. Made, made my, well, I had to preface it by saying I think he's very worth it as a fifteen-team league for a reason. <laughs> I, I had to cover my ass before you buried. <laughs> right, the right. But if I had said, "Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> he's a fish," you know, anyone who bought him is an idiot. You'd be you, you have said nothing. Like, okay, <laughs> no, we're moving on to Carter. Ke- no, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it would go. But, uh, yeah, I think he's a val- valuable play. Do I think he's going to hit 330 the rest of the year? Probably not. Let's be realistic about it. But very serviceable. And I think uh, 280, 290 is not out of the question because he's not a pure masher. He's just a good line drive hitter. So I think there's a lot to like there. And you talk about he's still not that old yet. So he might still be finding his groove. And there's really no one going to push him out of playing time there in Anaheim anytime soon. So don't mind that at all. Let's go to Carter Keyboom. He went in every league. And this is where it gets fun looking at this page. He went as low as $51 in League 18 to David Pepping, I believe. I might have butchered that. All the the way to $421 (laughs) to Michael Waterloo in League 3. The sad part for Michael Waterloo is the next closest guy was $333 cheaper. So that one stings. But, (laughs) um, yeah, there's three bids over $400. Waterloo, Cross, and Jake Cowart. Um, It was steep. It was steep. I know he went for like 183 in my league. Yeah, he was already talked about in a number of others too. Yeah, he went 350 or above in two, four, seven leagues. So yep. lots going on there. We already talked about it, so I don't want to bring. We don't have to talk about it anymore. But one thing you mentioned early, earlier is that was my biggest concern with him is playing time. To me, like they originally said when Trey Turner got hurt, they weren't going to bring him up because they wanted to bring him up when he's here for, to, for good. Then the fact they bring him up when Trey Turner is rehabbing and going to be back in like 10 to 14 days really threw me off. So I'm, I'm confused on what's going on here. I guess they just didn't want to lose any more ground in the division, and he's hitting the ball so well. But Defoe was just oh, he's a garbage. He's hot garbage. Like, they, they couldn't see that anymore. Yeah, Defoe's good to be that utility guy that plays like once a week where right. they can't exactly. get out of Keyboom because Keyboom needs every day at bats. So, yeah, I'm with you there. It's just – I couldn't imagine spending $421 for two weeks of baseball. That's going to sting, but uh, that's not me. And that's what we have fun with this on. Uh, Cody Bassard. Sorry, go ahead. I I just, I wouldn't have paid that much. We'll see if it ends up being worth it. But I think, I I think it's more likely that those teams end up regretting spending 400 plus. Yeah. Like I, I did the keep them honest, like 120 ish. And they went for 183 in my league. Well, like looking at these numbers right now. So obviously there's, Half of them went for 250 or more. So those are half the leagues already got one team that's pretty much out of the running for Nate Lowe, unless they save a lot of money. Now, seeing these prices for Carter Keepum, and you don't have to give away all your secrets, like what range do you think he's going to – like? are you thinking 250 to 300 might be happening come Monday? Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, because I think that people will pay about for low what they paid for what the market set for Keepum. And I think – I mean, that's the way I'll look at it, too, is I'll look and say, okay, what were people paying for Keyboom? Okay, I probably need to pay about this much to get him. Um, it's So the way I think about it is if I'm going to pay 250 plus for a guy, I want to know that this guy could potentially make me a league winner. Like, that's the way I felt about Juan Soto last year, and he was. 
I don't have that feeling about Kiboom. I have more of a feeling about Low that way, but probably not as strong as Soto. So I don't know if I'll end up getting him, honestly, if, if his bids are like Kiboom's. Yeah, 100% with you there. And what I, what I kind of want to do is I need to reach out or or maybe he'll do something this week on his podcast, but see what the Welsh on his prospect one. Because sure. I know these guys are doing a lot of him, like James Anderson and those guys, the prospect gurus. They're doing a lot of those kind of, okay, April's done. What's the next group of prospects coming up? And in reality, we might have seen all the good ones already. So you might not have to blow your wad on anything else later on. So it, it, that'll help dictate things too. But yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Agreed. All, all right. Uh, I'm going to quickie right here. But Chris Bassett went from $1 to $36. A couple of good starts last week. Any interest in a guy like Chris Bassett? Uh, I mean, he's a 30-year-old with a 134 career whip, 7.3 career strikeouts per nine. I mean, he's got a nice matchup this week at Pittsburgh, so I get it, but I would not be spending any chunk bids on him. Like, those are, that's not the kind of player that I want to be spending $30 chunks on. Like, I might go a buck or two just to see if I'm the only one who wants him, but I think if you do too many of these throughout the year, you end up getting really short at the end, and it's not really worth it. 100% 100% agree. Uh, Danny Santana went from 10 to $68. A, I was surprised he's still available in this many leagues. B, Rugnit Odor's back. Elvis Andrus is playing every day. Um, I really don't see what the playing time is at unless he's just super utility. Do you see him playing enough to, to be kind of viable for these bids? I know he's off to a good start, but playing time could be an issue. No, I, I don't. In fact, I, I hate to just uh, agree with you in a lot of in a lot of these ways, but I do. Like the time to get Danny Santana was when Odor got hurt, not when he came back. Like Danny Santana is a 260 career hitter with no power, and he's currently hitting 345 through 62 at bats. Like he's a fish on a heater, and his playing time is now going to be sporadic from here on out. He's hit, like I said, he's hitting 345. So. He probably deserves a start or two a week. I'm sure Texas is like, okay, this guy's hot. He is not going to remain that hot. Like, I think he's got a sub 300 career on base percentage, and he's been given chances. Like, I I just don't see it. There's a reason why he was once kind of, I'm not a top prospect for the Twins, but he was a a popular youngster. That didn't work. He went to Atlanta. That didn't work. He's still rather young, and it's not working still. So just keep that in mind. Um, This could be another quickie as well. Dexter Fowler. One to twenty six dollars. I know he had a good week. I want nothing to do with Dexter Fowler. Am I misreading this one? Um, I, personally, I'm all right with Fowler. The thing yeah, I don't cool. like is that he's not showing any power anymore. Um, that's that's a big issue because he's never been a big stolen base or home run guy. He's a guy that would you know be around fifteen fifteen somewhere in there, depending a little more, a little less, but. He's hitting over 300. He's got an on-base over 400. I think the bids that are like $25 and less, I think is reasonable. I think it's reasonable. He's hitting sixth for uh, for uh, for St. Louis, and he's kind of one of those guys a little bit like uh, Brian Goodwin. Like, I probably yeah. like him and Goodwin about the same. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Emilio Pagan went from 11 to 207. There's some bids here that blow my mind. I yes. really have gone two hundred seventeen dollars from for Ryan Roof one fifty six one hundred and you see the differences in some of these like they got smoked. Um, I get the kind of speculative bids the lower down there because he's getting saves, but at the same time you have Alvarado um, and and company. You have a loaded Tampa Bay pen where there's rotating guys around. Alvarado might have the best stuff, but he's only getting the chances. 
when, you know, he's, he's the guy that goes in at the most important time of the game, not necessarily save time. So what would you be doing with Amelia Pagan? Like, how would you have approached this? I, I understand the speculative nature, but my goodness, some of these bids. So I think my bid across the board for Pagan was 15 bucks. And then when I saw him come in in the seventh on Sunday uh, before Castillo and Alvarado, I was just like, yeah, forget that. And I dropped him down to five. And uh, that was the max I was willing to pay. The reality is he might get a couple of saves. Tampa is a team that mixes and matches. Castillo's going to get some saves. Alvarado's going to get some. I think they trust Pagan, and he'll get a couple too. But if you're playing in weekly leagues where you have to, like, start a guy the entire week, I I just don't really see that he's going to be worth it enough to start him over a starting pitcher or another guy that's better. I think those bids – I mean, <laughs> desperation is a stinky cologne, my friend, and that stinks. Yes, that one stinks. Um, the, 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 I'm not going to ever justify those bids, but a, a theory I've been hearing around the quote-unquote industry or on Twitter lately is as bad as starting pitching is, would you rather put like a Castillo and a Pagan to fill two lineup spots on a weekly lineup, those kind of pitchers, instead of you know throwing a kind of uh, Chris Bassett or somebody out there I might not have an ideal matchup. Would you rather go with those kind of relievers that if combined might get you two to three saves, but still aren't going to get you a ton of strikeouts and stuff? Or would you still stick with starters more often than not? No, I'd still stick with the starters. Like Castillo is a yes for me because I think he's got way more strikeout upside and I think he's got a better path to saves. Um, But I would not want to spend two of my spots trying to get one trying to get two thirds of a closing situation. Like that's just lighting money on fire to me. Okay. Like, like it's not even like they're the only two, like Alvarado is still yeah. probably the favorite for the most saves in that pen. Like I just, I, I just don't think that's good. No. Yeah. It's crazy. Like you said, if there's two guys, it makes sense. Three kind of pushing it. Yeah. Eric Sogard went from $1 to $33. He has like an 11 game hitting streak since he's been called up. We've seen him hit well before, probably not this well, but if he's getting everybody at bats in Toronto and, you know, hitting in front of Vlad and Smoke and company, do you, uh, what, what are your thoughts on Sogard? Um, you know, I'm all for nerd power. So I, I, I root for Sogard. I like him. But I think the bidding that we saw, pretty optimistic. I mean, I, I hate to just spout a guy's career stats and be like, okay, this is what this guy, you know, is going to be because players change. But, dude, Sogard's like 170 pounds and he's 33 years old. And he's a 242 career hitter with fuck all for power. Like he's had a nice 41 at bat stretch, but like what else is there for Sogard? I just think he's a pumpkin and midnight is striking soon. And I get the draw because he's hitting lead off. Like you said, he's getting full time at bats. There is value in that if you have a hole at the position. But other than that, I would not be expecting uh, much from him. He's a guy that in two weeks, you're going to be like, shoot, I, I need to, I need to get somebody who can play in this spot. So I, I don't think he's for real. Would you rather have, you're talking pumpkins here, similar positions, and they both have some weird starts to the year. Would you rather have Eric Stilgard or Tommy Lestillo? Oh, wow. Because they both, they're both they're both rostered in almost all 15 team leagues. That's tough. Uh, in a batting average league, I mean, I'd probably lean towards Sogard just because he continues to hit leadoff, better lineup spot. In an on-base percentage league, I think it's clearly Listella. 
Yep, this is 2019, folks. This is what's happening. This is, yeah, this is a sad place that we found ourselves in. <laughs> Welcome to the rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> yep, uh, we we just talked about um, Emilio Pagan going for some crazy bids. Somehow, Hansel Robles didn't go as high. Um, and to me, they're kind of in similar spots, even though Robles only competing with one other guy in the pen. Uh, he went from 12 to $72. I know we already talked about the Anaheim situation. Where would you have been on this spectrum of bids? So I think where I went with Hansel, depending on the league, I was between 35 and 45. So um, compared to Pagan, where I was at $5, Pagan was like a backup bid for me on Hansel. Um, I, it, we talked about him a little bit earlier, but I think he's the favorite for saves there. And I think getting him under $72, I actually think that's a nice buy because I think right now he's the favorite for saves. I think he's the favorite for the closing job and it, closers are just so, so fickle. And it's one of those things where if he pitches well and closes out four or five in a row, that's his job. Like Cody Allen is not coming back and, and taking that. Like they're not long-term committed to Cody Allen. They don't give a shit about that guy. So I think that, that Robles has a good chance to take off much better than Pagan. And uh, it's crazy to me that the, the bidding on him was like less than Pagan. That's it. Maybe I'm reading this wrong. Cause we're all just speculating, but I would way rather have Hansel Robles. Yeah, there's, well, two things you said. I'm worried that Hansel Robles, hey, they gave him an Undertaker intro, which you can't really beat that's, that. That's a closer. <laughs> yeah, that, if you get stuff like that, you better be closing ball games. or good Lord what is going on there in Anaheim. But both these guys, you said it, they're both speculative closers. So why blow your wad on one but not like those bits should have been the same or all on Hansel's side, not on Pagan's in my opinion. That's what made no sense. I wouldn't have gone high on either because speculation, but – yeah, I, I think Robles uh, has the better path to this one, but time will tell. Um, Arizona, Gerard Dyson is actually playing really well here. Maybe it's just a hot streak. Maybe he's figuring it out. He's got speed for days, which steals are always an asset in uh, Roto Leagues, and especially 15-teamers. Went from anywhere from $9 to $78. Anything you're seeing in Gerard Dyson, and you know maybe you like him more than, say, the Brian Goodwins and Dexter Fowlers of the world? Uh, I probably do in the sense that speed is at such a premium. And I mean, Dyson has always run, you know, he's, he's like a, like a poor man's Rajai Davis back in the day where he like steals 30 bases every year, even though he never gets full-time PT. But the reality is per 162 games in his career, he's stolen 48 bases. And now he's getting not full-time playing time, but like, I don't know, like three quarters playing time. And he's hitting lead off a lot. Like, that's a good lineup scoring a lot of runs. I, I think Dyson's a legit player and dude, stolen bases attached to halfway decent players are not easy to find. I, I think he's a pretty good, pretty good buy for sure. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that one. I think I was worth the pennies there. Let's go to Luis Ringifo. I probably butchered that, but I'll try for the angels. Another angel on the fab market, anywhere from $3 to $200. Talk about the spectrums. Chris Meany gets him for three dollars, and I goddamn Chris three dollars. But he goes up for two hundred bucks to our buddy Van Lee. Um, wow, Van! Wow, lead the cat. Van spent two hundred on him. Yeah, I don't. I would never have saw Van spending two hundred on him. That's wow. Someone hacked his account. I think he even <laughs> put twenty dollars and hit an extra zero. But um, <laughs> who? Yeah, this guy's a prospect, a pretty good one with some speed and average. But uh, what's your thoughts on him? Because 
it's an Angels team where if he plays, he should get playing time. Like if, if he performs, he should get playing time. Yeah, well, I, I, I will say this. I love Van, and I, I so also love Rangifo. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by the kid. I will say this. Like, you talked about his speed. Last two years in the minors combined 75 steals. And one of the things I like about him is that he can also take a walk. Like, I like base stealers that get on base, not just like Billy Hamilton where they, like, squeak grounders through the infield. They can get on base other ways. Last season, Rangifo... 75 walks against 75 strikeouts. Like it's not that many players that are able to have a one-to-one strikeout to walk ratio. I think that has value and maybe 200 bucks with steep, but I am intrigued by this kid. And I mean, I, I, I don't know that he'll get PT the rest of the year, all that's up in the air, but I do like his profile and I do think it was worth adding at at reasonable prices. Yeah. This is going to be probably a, to many, sound like a very dumb statement, but it could be a bold statement that I could see coming true just because that's why I'm going to say it. But I think that Ringifo, or I'm going to butcher his name, I apologize, has a much better chance to stick up the rest of the year than Carter Keyboom, and his buy might be well worth the money compared to Carter Keyboom's come seasons in. That's my thoughts on this one. Whoa, that's hot, dude. And I like it. I like it. I like the profile of this guy, man. Yeah, no, I, I traded for him in a dynasty league this year because I was trying to rebuild. I inherited a team, and I was grabbing prospects that were close to the bigs. And I, I got Tucker and Ringifo, and I'm, I'm pumped that they're already up. So I, I like what I saw when I looked into him this year. So um, I'm surprised he's up this soon, and that made me very uh, happy about that. Yeah. But uh, good stuff there. Uh, just two more guys I want to ask you about here. First, Luke Jackson of the Atlanta Braves, kind of our third closer committee type situation. With Vizcaino going out for the year, AJ Mentor is supposed to be the guy. He has not been that guy. So Luke Jackson getting some love in that Atlanta bullpen. I think he got the save tonight as well, or got the late inning role there uh, no, for the Webb, Braves. Webb got the save tonight. Oh God, this makes this even more fun coming next Sunday. Yes. Um, so we went from here from five to eighty-eight dollars. Well, now that we know that Webb got the save, what's your thoughts on Luke Jackson? <laughs> I mean, if I paid 88 bucks, I think I'd want my 88 bucks back, man. Oh, man. Oh, Let me talk to the scary. manager. I need a refund, mate. Oh, um, I, dude, I, Luke Jackson doesn't really profile as a closer. Like, career seven and a half strikeouts per nine. He does throw about 95 miles an hour, and Minter's struggling, so it's possible. But I don't know. Like, if we're going to take the over-under on rest-of-season saves from Jackson at, like, 9.5, I would definitely take the under tonight, like I said. So when Jackson got the save, Minter had gotten into a bunch of trouble, and Webb had already pitched in that game. And so they bring in Jackson, and he cleaned up the mess, and that's great. But I think those situations are like, you can't say, okay, that guy's the closer. Like, when a guy comes in with a two-run lead and starts the ninth inning and closes it out, that's a closing situation. Not like, shit, this other guy can't get it done. Please help. Um, Tonight, Jacob Webb got the save. He's got a career 11.2 strikeouts per nine in the minors. Way more of a closer profile. He's actually a guy that I would be adding. Um, We'll see what happens the rest of the week. But if you're in, like, daily moves leagues, I've already grabbed Webb in in those leagues. And hopefully – that ends up coming to fruition. We'll see. I mean, yeah, Minter, Minter is struggling. I like it. A little Jacob Webb talk. Yeah. Late night action. I like that. Yeah. That's, uh, also, yeah. I didn't know who Jacob Webb was before. Like, two I was just about ago, to say, I have so. no idea who he is. I'm about to look him up. After yeah. This. Yep. Fun times. 
Um, and, and if two guys like myself and Sammy who do pay attention to a lot of baseball don't know who the guy is, yeah, that's just pretty much everything you need to know. Uh, last guy I'll ask about here is Rymel Tapia. Went from $5 to $131. 131 was Nathan Grimm, League 3. Um, he's play, had a really good week last week. David Dahl's back. You have Blackman. Is there enough playing time for Ramel Tapia in that outfield? Because we, we've always wanted him to have the playing time. Is there enough playing time um, to be worth bids like this? I don't think so. I, I mean, Colorado is just like world famous for blocking good young players. And there's no reason to think that they won't do it with Tapia. Desmond's got that massive contract. He sucks, but he's going to get at least half the playing time, if not more. There's just not a lot of room for Tapia and it sucks. And maybe he breaks through and things change. But like right now, I I don't think it's worth that bid because you need to be bidding on guys who are getting at bats for that kind of money. Yeah, that was, that's why it stood out to me. Like I said before, people have listened weekly. It's not just about the flashy names. It's kind of more of a let people know what not to do thing possibly. Um, And every team dictates things differently based on injuries, but some of these stand out pretty well that, uh, you know, instead of writing Mel Tapia, go get Gerard Dyson or Dexter Fowler or Brian Goodwin. That's got plenty of time. Stuff along those lines. All right. This will wrap up the fantasy baseball portion of the podcast. For those that have not seen Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3, Battle of Winterfell, come back and finish it later. Otherwise, Sammy and I are going to chit-chat for a little bit here. First off, Sammy, did it meet your expectations? So... That's a really loaded question. And so I'm going to start I off. <laughs> so this, this, is how, this, is how we, this is how we unravel the ball of yarn. <laughs> right. It, it, so I actually watched it for the second time today because my wife was having like such fierce anxiety yesterday that she couldn't watch it. And I so I watched it. it with friends and then I watched it again with her today. And uh, so I've seen it twice. Um, and I will say that I try not to have any expectations. And I think that's where a lot of people end up ruining their own experience. Like I do a lot of analysis in everything I do, right? Baseball, fantasy baseball and poker and my job, it's all analysis. And to me, Game of Thrones is like, dude, just sit back and watch it and enjoy it. Like so much of our experience is dictated from what we thought the experience would be or should be. And, you know, it's like you go see a a movie, everyone tells you it's great and it's only okay. And you're like, ah, that sucked. But if everyone told you it was bad and it's only okay, you're like, oh, that was actually pretty good. Your, Your expectation shaped the way you experience it. And for me, I really do my best to just like say, I'm gonna watch this and I'm gonna enjoy it and I'm not gonna put any value on what I think it should be. So that's my like existential view of Game of Thrones. I think it's a great answer, though, because, you know, this won't be Game of Thrones takes, but my wife and I went and saw the the Avengers Endgame. We've seen all the movies, just kind of turn your brain off, have fun type stuff. And I thought it was really enjoyable. And then she's critiquing the whole thing. And I, I basically told her the same thing you just said. I said, why don't you just enjoy the movie for what it is? Like, it was yeah. just pure entertainment. Now, Game of Thrones was just like that. Like like you're saying, you anywhere you looked on Twitter last night or this morning, it was people either really, really happy with it or critiquing every aspect of it all, like as much as it was too dark. Or <laughs> why did they send their best warriors with flames into the middle of nowhere and get killed in two seconds? 
Um, right. there was Which, a, a, I mean, admittedly, was a real questionable decision. <laughs> well, to be fair, Jon Snow has proven that he's not the best uh, leader in battles. Like he says, does not have good game plans at all. Correct. But yeah. that, that that was poor. And um, yeah, because then you get to turn the Darthraki back on you now, and that's not good. But <laughs> um, there were a lot of factors to this. Like I could go in many different directions. First off, like, do you think Danny's really capable of, of, you know, running a dragon? Because she seems to leave their dragons in, like, such danger all the time. Literally just sitting there on the ground with, like, dead people climbing all over him. Um, yeah, that was, I, that I was a really, really peculiar move by her to, to ground the dragon and then sit around and just, like, kind of take a, you know, take in the view while the dead are, like, encroaching quickly. Like, dude, you already lost one dragon. Let's not blow it again. You know, you don't you don't want to blow the three to nothing dragon lead, right? Um, yes. You're right. And and frankly, it was pretty hard to tell who was in charge of this entire plan True. True. for the North. Like, it, there didn't seem to be one centralized leader that was taking care of everything. It's like, okay, John and Danny are going to be off to the side riding dragons. Everyone at the castle, you know, we, we kind of have this plan. And then we have the Dothraki, just Leroy Jenkins it. Um, I mean, it was it was a strange uh, game plan by them, but but fortunately it worked out in the end because Arya is just like a straight boss. She is. I I always say this with the most respect possible. My my, my wife now understands. I'm just not a derogatory thing when I say it. Arya is one of the baddest bitches on the planet. She's a bad bitch. <laughs> yeah, like like I, I've grown to love her through her whole metamorphosis into what she is now. And just like when she left the mini face gods and, you know, came on her mission, killed the phrase and then did all this, like you keep seeing this growth in her. And, you know, at the end of season seven, when Bran tells the hound that she's alive and um, he basically says, uh, or he, she says like, Oh, it's okay. I'm taking care of her now or something like that. And it's, Oh no, you, you don't have to worry about her. Like she could take care of herself type deal. Yeah. yeah. She's bad. Like really, really bad. And when she tells uh, Sansa, gives her the, the little sword and goes, she's, I don't even know how to use it. Hit her with the pointy end. That, the was, pointy end. <laughs> that was amazing. That was yeah. a flashback to Jon Snow. But there was just so many parts of that. Like her scenes going through the castle, the library. I have become a humongous Arya fan. And I'm not saying I saw it happening the way it was going to happen. I don't think many people saw it happening the way she did. Like full Michael Jordan through the air type thing. Roto wear, by the way. Gold with that shirt. Oh my god, that shirt is incredible. So good. Like, and he does that within like thirty seconds of a show finishing. But um, it was amazing, and I'm glad she's the one that did it. Are you okay with the way it ended? Uh, I am, and and the reason I'm okay with it. So a a big part of the criticism. There were a couple of bigger criticisms, right? And one of them was that, especially by fans of the books. I haven't read the books, admittedly, so take that for what it's worth. But neither neither have I. Yeah, I, man, I'm busy. I got a life. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, those, those are big ass books. Have you seen those things? Yeah, it's a lot of words, man. That's a lot of words. I, I read so. Baseball HQ. I can't get to that. <laughs> right. An, an athletic article is about as yes, far as I know. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, one of the big things was criticisms was the Game of Thrones doesn't handle, especially since, uh, since Martin's role ended and they've gone off on their own, that they haven't handled the paranormal very well. It's like something they kind of want to brush under the rug and get past. And maybe that's true, but I think this, I think that I'm happy the way this happened because I think that at its core, Game of Thrones is about house versus house. It is a medieval political drama. 
And I think the way that the show should end is the North and the Starks versus Cersei Lannister, who is, I mean, frankly, maybe the best character on the show. I don't, she has such depth to her. We have an emotional attachment to her. We don't have emotional attachment to the Night King or the White Walkers. Like that is not the final boss. The final boss is us. It's Cersei Lannister. It's, that's what made this show great. And that's how I think it should end. And I'm happy that that's the direction they ended up going in. You, uh, like most of your articles, you write, you said that perfectly. That is, that's what, that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I came to look at it. It's like, yeah, the Night King was cool. Yes, he was a cool villain. Yes, I'd like to know kind of maybe who he really was. Or you also, know, like when, also when, only when, one for three on the spear tossing, three thirty three average. Yeah, that's so great. He, but you know, in 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 like fighting for the, for supremacy of the world, you got to do better than that. See, all you Danny Santana bidders, regression happens. Look at the night. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's coming, but um, yeah, like in the last one, that was a really weak throw. I don't know what that was all about. But when when she tries to, to to burn him alive and he's got that smirk on his face, I'm thinking, okay, is he a Targaryen? Is he maybe he's John's dad? Like what or is he the Mad King? Or so many theories here, and we never get to find that out. That kind of stinks a little bit at the same time it's not the end of the world. Like I can see yeah, that's not the end of the world. And Bran maybe still brings that to life later on. We don't know. Um right. but it will be interesting. We we could talk about a ton of different angles. Like we don't need to be here all night for this. It's more just kind of a fun synopsis of our thoughts from the episode um you know the hound kind of showing i don't know if coward's the right word it was more just like he knows this is pointless so he's gonna hide as long as possible it's kind yeah, of how he, I had, he had a nihilist arby's moment for the for the third second there <laughs> yeah he's like screw this i'm out but <laughs> screw the, this i'm gonna go find an arby's you cunts <laughs> exactly you cunts but um then he goes and, you know, he still shows that he's a human being. And he loves Arya and wants to protect Arya. So that was pretty cool. But, um, yeah, me, there's angles me, to go. But, but what's your opinion? So one of the other big uh, criticisms was that people were expecting a lot of the main characters to die. They're like, okay, this is going to happen. And pretty much none of them did. Like, we saw deaths from, like, Jorah, etc. Is Jorah Jor- officially dead, though? Yeah, yeah, we don't know. But I think so. Um, yeah, I, I think so, but he should be, he should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had a great run, you know, and beyond, but you know, the main characters all survived. What do yeah. you think about that in terms of, did it, did it disappoint you? Do you think it was a good thing? Like what's, what's kind of your overall feeling about the death toll in this episode? Well, yeah. Okay. At first I wanted the death toll to happen. Like I'm thinking, okay, episode two was, it was cool and all. People got their moments, like Brienne and stuff. And usually when that happens in Game of Thrones, it's time for you to go. Like Gendry, he got what he wanted from Arya. Now it's time to go. Um, this is what you think usually happens. What, what I was wondering is is how many will die. Obviously not enough, but Jorah goes. Um, one, of the, one of the guys from the wall, I always forget his name. Uh, he goes when he's trying to yeah. save Samwell. Theon. And then, Theon, yeah. Uh, and the Theon, thank God, I, I was good for him to go. Yeah, um, yeah. Good and then uh, little Mormont died, but she died in a bad, bad, a bad way, which was yeah, like, like a boss as, yeah, as well. Like a boss. But um, those were like the main four. And I know there's all the critiques of every time you'd see Samwell or Brienne or Jamie just being swarmed by these guys, they'd survive. But I'm okay with it because it kind of goes back to what you said about I want Stark versus Lannister. 
I want Jamie to have a chance to kill Cersei or be a part of that some way, somehow. I want to see that all take place. And with all the, the carnage that took place at Winterfell, and you got Cersei with all that extra army up there, we need all those people to stay alive, to go up there, to at least make it interesting. So right. I, I'm okay with it for now because I have confidence that I'd be very shocked if in the end all of them are still alive. Like There's a good chunk that are still going to disappear, I have a feeling. Of, of course, and I agree with you that, dude, it's really hard, that trope where, like, yeah, they're fully surrounded. How are they going to get out of this? And they do, like, that's reserved for, like, cheesy movies. It's like if they had guns, you know, multiple characters would have definitely survived because the villain, like, ran out of ammo at just the wrong moment. Like, it's a tough thing to pull off. It's a little cheese ball, but I agree at the same time. Like, how do you give a character a proper death? How are you going to give Brienne of Tarth a proper death in this battle, just getting swarmed by, you know, the dead and killed. Like, that's not what we deserve. That's not the closure, right? We want some gangster deaths. We want, like, some heroic deaths. We want some emotional deaths, honestly. Like, that's why we watch Game of Thrones. And I just don't think you're going to get that in, like, a a crazy sword battle with the dead. And so, you know... Because, like, we're going to get the Hound has to face the mountain. Like, we couldn't have him die last night. You have to see that. Now, if he dies in that battle, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, like, Bran's supposed to be coming for Tyrion and Jamie, and I don't see him killing either one of them because, A, he loves them too much. Like, it's two of, like, the only people he cares about. Right. And, B, Tyrion always said, I'll pay you more than anybody else. So, that, that one's in the books. Um, <laughs> but it's just, like, there's there's so many ways, like you said, they could die, like, Maybe Brienne dies when she protects Jamie in in King's Landing because she loves Jamie. Like, there's so many angles to this that um, those would be way more emotional than just being swarmed by a bunch of zombies, basically. Yeah, it, it just, you know, I, I think that the show is going to end how it was. And the reality is so many people said, you know, that Game of Thrones has gotten soft because they just would kill off characters. And it's like, yeah, they would, but... Mostly what that represented is they did things that we didn't expect, right? When Ned got beheaded in season one, that was so crazy because we didn't see that coming at all. The entire time we were like, how's Ned going to get out of this? And then he didn't. And you're like, wait, what? Exactly. It was unexpected. The fact that so many main characters survived in this episode, that was unexpected, right? So in a way, they stayed true to that. Yeah, no, that's very true. So it will be interesting to see how it goes. I'm kind of... Like, certain people I need to see die. I need, um, oh, why is he going to skip my mind now? That stupid idiot that's trying to, or is banging Cersei. He needs to go. Oh, uh, yeah. His name's slipping my mind all of a sudden. Like, yeah, you're yeah, like, afraid, really. Uh, Euron. Euron, yes. Euron's got yeah, I don't know anybody's name, so I'm really happy that I found that. Yeah, Euron's got to go. There, there's a handful that need to go. They don't all have to go. But uh, we'll kind of wrap it up on this, because I could talk all night with you on this topic. But how do you see it ending? When episode six is said and done, how do you see it ending? So I'm going to give you the cop-out answer, man. I'm sorry to do this to you, but I have really done my best to try to not think about it, to try to not decide how I think it should end or want it to end. I I just want to hang back and experience it and, uh, you know, keep my expectations out of it. So I really apologize. I know that's the worst answer, but but it's the truth. Um, fair. Yeah, but give, but give me your take. I'm really I'm really excited to hear what you think is going to happen. I think I, I, I'm starting to buy into the theory that they they tear down the throne, so it's not one throne. 
and there's going to be like it'll be more like a democracy like because we've seen all the conversations like Sansa's talked to Danny about who runs the north I see there being kind of a not one ruler ruling everyone and because that's kind of been a thing for a long time Danny wants the throne but she also wants kind of peace and freedom for everyone as well yeah so I think there's a way to go about it and you have guys like Tyrion and um and 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 those guys that can kind of be the peacekeepers in the middle to make it all go smoothly but we'll see yeah i mean who knows westeros could end up going to the electoral college in the future like that's there you go and samuel tarley could lead be the speaker of the house like you never know it's gonna be crazy he looks like newt gingrich at times so it's possible (laughs) yeah Um, age him 45 years and you've got a dead exactly exactly but all right, my friend, we'll wrap it up with that. This was a pleasure as always. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you and uh, what you got going on? Yeah, man, uh, just just catch me on Roto Grinders, the On Deck uh, Premium Podcast. Look out for the Baseball Hawks Anonymous podcast I do with Doug Thorburn. We're going to be restarting that hopefully in the near future. And uh, on Twitter, at Sammy Reed FI. And Bubba, I love your show. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on, and, and this was a ton of fun. Anytime you want to have me back on, just hit me up. We'll do, my friend. We'll chat it up, talk some more Padres when they hit the playoffs this year and all that good stuff. But uh, the Giants just took a 3-2 to two lead because Elvin Longoria hit a bases clearing double. So I need to run. So thank you, my friend. This has been a hell of an evening and a great, great chat. Um, Take care. Everybody, this is Benjamin Bubba. Episode 166 with Sammy Reed, Fantasy Baseball Week 5 Fab and Game of Thrones. Catch you guys later. 